<laughs> now let's do it. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. We took a week-long hiatus in the middle of the season. Not the busiest time of the season, but we did take the hiatus. Uh, apologies for that, but also not apologies because I was in Mexico and I... I have like the weirdest farmer's tan slash like I go from like, like my neck slash head region goes from like midnight and then my shoulders on downward go to like sunset. So that's what I'm, oh, wow. I'm alluding my, yeah, everything Good. here is darker. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice description too. <laughs> yeah. I, can really, not, I can really picture it. I'm an artist in a, in a different life. <laughs> this is, this is just a side hustle. Uh, but no, that's, that was the reason for the week long hiatus. Thank you as always for, um, keeping up with us and i know a couple people asked like what's going on there's like a lot going on so we're back we're talking about it all um of course i'd be remiss if i did not mention the fact that rihanna and i are very sad at the fact that we had to spend our sunday evenings watching what can only be deemed as a jonathan gannon masterclass and how to not get a job the next day um but oh but he did Oh, of course, yes, because that's how the, that's how this works. Um, yeah, how how can yeah. I forget that? But, <laughs> he, he did get a he did get a head coaching job right afterwards. <laughs> yeah, uh, yep. But anyway, of course, the Super Bowl did not go our way um, as Eagles fans. But I did. I will say uh, this: I found in my uh, in my childhood home. I was back home for a couple of days. I found like a really old vintage Eagles jacket that I had when I was a kid. And it was like, it's like one of those that has, uh, I, I want to say the old logo and like it's midnight green and like white sleeves, like thick white sleeves. It's sick jacket. I'm like, that's something I want to give to like my kids. Um, so that was my silver lining. But other than that, got a chance to watch football again over the weekend as in like real football, not hand egg. And then that was, <laughs> that was just about it. Rian, how was your lovely weekend? I think uh, there was a special event that happened on Friday, right? <laughs> to my oh, knowledge. Yeah, yeah. Start start to my weekend was great. Um, my birthday was on Friday or last Friday, and uh, it, was a, it was a great start to the weekend. Uh, and then, you know, most of Sunday was great too, up until um, like to with about a minute and a half left in the game. <laughs> um, but, <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was it was a great weekend, and honestly, like. Super Bowl was really obviously very sad. And, you know, the thing that I was, like, most sad about uh, from the game specifically was really just the the disappointment that, that, that like, holding call, which I th- it was the right call, of course. Like, the, uh, the, J- the Eagles cornerback came out and said that, it, you know, he did hold him and blah, blah, blah. And, you know, the disappointing thing from that was – that you know, it's 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 it it wasn't blatant. Is I guess the the disappointing thing is that it wasn't blatant, and like most of the time in those games, they don't call those like at the especially at the end of the game. Um, and, it, but, and it robbed us too of seeing uh, Jalen Hurts potentially have his opportunity to win. Yeah, the game. that that's honestly what's that's honestly what saddened me the most is that you know he played so great. Um, he had the one mistake with the fumble, but like literally the next drive after the fumble, they scored a touchdown and like, he was great on that drive. And like, it, I, like the, the way that that 
that was i honestly found that like so impressive for him and, and, and all the quotes that have come out of, that he's that he said after the game too like he's extremely impressive guy and like um to have that mistake and then immediately come back and the next literally the next drive like he <laughs> like go down the field perfect, waste like six yeah. minutes yeah yeah and um and like I've, i'm it's been a long time since felt like this secure and like I, it, things can change very quickly in, in american football like year to year because of <laughs> like just that because it's like nature of the sport people get injured and carson went to cap, blah 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 yeah 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 i mean yeah i felt pretty secure about carson Wentz up until towards <laughs> acl and then and then yeah the rest of that went the way it did anyway but like i was just really sad they didn't get a chance to play to that he didn't get a chance to, to get to uh, either tie or win the game. Like I, I'm not that I'm not so upset about losing necessarily, but like, man, it would have been great to just see him get that chance. But uh, hopefully, hopefully, it won't be his last chance to, to get it. I would, football. I will take this. This is the last point I'll make on American football. But I would take Patrick Mahomes up against Jalen Hurts in many more Super Bowls in the future because that was genuinely like such high-level elite quarterback play from both of them. Like it was like, gen- yeah, yeah. like just so incredible to watch. Um, yeah, both of them set like an yeah. incredible example for, for black quarterbacks too uh, during Black History Month. So fantastic. yeah, yeah. And that's the, the other thing too is just like the, the story of this game should have been like by the end of it, it should have been like these two like – like really great quarterback performances from two really good quarterbacks um and like just happened to be like the first time two black quarterbacks were playing against each other in in the super bowl and they were fucking they were magnificent um even if the defenses were pretty bad in their own senses but like they were they were magnificent individually Uh, and like it should have been about like the end these games should be about um those two performances and well i think that like Mahomes will 100% get his flowers and he has been and deserves them. Um, it sucks that the other main thing from this game is going to probably be like people's outrage about the holding call, which is when it should, when like the, the secondary story should be like how great Jalen Hurts was. And, and I hope that people give him, give him his flowers. Amen to that. Well, Jalen Hurts, if you're listening, you made the city of Philadelphia proud, like beyond proud. So. We love you for it. Um, Howie Roseman, please extend the man to a multi-year contract and uh, we'll be all set. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. The escape part about that is, you know, what's that happened to? Like, which, look, he put up that performance in the Super Bowl, <laughs> so he deserves it. But, uh, but once that happens to, uh, it's going to be hard to build the team <laughs> around, the, I know. around, I know. around the contract. But that, it, it is what it is. That's a, that's a Howie problem and not an us problem. We just make demands. <laughs> that's all we need to get to. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, with that all being said, Rian, let's let's talk a little bit about what's gone on in Europe in the last basically week and a half now, uh, not just the last weekend. Um, remember, I want to say like right after the turn of the year, it, it just turned to 2023. And you were like, oh, you know, it's hard to see Arsenal giving up this position. Arsenal are definitely the favorites. They're the betting favorites. They're the strong, the strongest team right now in England. Yeah, uh, you're not wrong, um, but you weren't right. I don't know how else to phrase it other than that. And <laughs> if if we were, it, 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 I guess I put myself in this boat too, but if you were in somehow under the illusion that 
Manchester City were just going to fall out of the title race. Um, we were also wrong. Uh, I always, like, look, I always told you, like, I think I always said, it's always possible for City to get back into this if Arsenal slip up once and knowing that these two teams meet in February. It's always possible. And now, lo and behold, here we are after two dropped point or two games back-to-back in which Arsenal have dropped points. City have the chance to literally go back into first with a win on Wednesday against Arsenal. Um, talk to me. Tell me a little bit about this. You put in our, I'll call them our production notes, that both of these teams are on a collision course, as you call it. Where do you think both of these teams stand in terms of form? And tell me a little bit about what you think is going to be the outcome of this game on Wednesday. I think uh, I, I, from that whole little like uh, monologue, <laughs> mini, mini monologue of, uh, of, of thinly veiled digs that <laughs> I would be willing to bet my life that if we went back to those episodes, I also said that it's very possible the city <laughs> could come back into it. Uh, I, I think... I think my only thing I said is I don't see them going on that whatever 10, 11 game winning streak to to win it. And honestly, I don't think they'll have to. If if they win the league, I don't think they'll have to have done that because where we've talked ad nauseum about how great those that Liverpool team was during those years when City literally had to win all of those games to win to win the title. I don't think they'll I don't think they'll have to do something like that again to to um to wrestle this title back from Arsenal. But generally, I think going going into this City won past this past weekend very comfortably against Villa 3-1, right? But you know, the game before that, they did draw or lo- was it lost to Tottenham? Yeah, there was they a loss to Tottenham. Yeah. To Tottenham. So, so you know, <laughs> I think I think going off of one game where where they where they beat Villa very very easily, uh, I'm not ready to say that that oh yeah, they're fully clicking on all gears. So, um I think from like a a, a Tottenham or not Tottenham, a, a City point of view, they can they they 100% could go in and win at the Emirates on, on Wednesday. Like, like I, this is, I, I probably said it before too. This is still overall the most talented team in the league and, and arguably still the most talent, the most talented team squad, squad, I should say, um, in Europe. But they haven't been playing like that. And we know that like the way the sports works, this sport works is that, that, that it doesn't necessarily like having the best players does not necessarily mean that that they're all going to fit well and and the team's going to play well to their strengths and whatnot. And there's still question marks, not the right word, but there's no question mark. Yeah, I think there's still question marks around the fit with Holland currently. This is not to say that they won't figure it out. I, I mean, I don't think they're going to figure it out this season. But that does not say that they won't figure it out in the future, I'll say, um, because it, it's still a bit off in terms of um, how they use him. You know, this past weekend, <laughs> yeah, just another funny stat line where it's six touches, one shot, and one assist. He had to come off at halftime, I, I think, due to some injury or or, uh, or he was feeling sick or something like that. But 
you go back to the game before that, he was held to zero shots for the first time this season against Spurs. And then in general, like this season, he's averaging his fewest touches and his fewest progressive passes received per 90 in his in the last six seasons. Or I should say four, four or five seasons since he joined Dortmund. So there's obviously still a disconnect there. And the even crazier thing about it, like the fact that you know there's lack of touches and, and the lack of direct passes which which basically is the same thing as the progressive passes received the, the lack of those two things is even more kind of perplexing when you look at the fact that city averages about 65% possession and dortmund averaged in holland seasons they they average just under 60% so it's not a lack of of um of the team having the ball, it's a lack of supply for him, and and I think that's still an issue. And uh, the thing with City is like like they've basically gone from where they had a very fluid like center forward up front, whoever it was going to be, and and that person was basically another midfielder sometimes when it was Gundogan specifically and and some other players. Um, and those touches have now like gone away they're they're more or less playing with one less one fewer player in build, in their build up and we see him come deep from time to time but if i'm in opposition i want holland to come deep as much as possible i want him to be involved in the build up as much as possible because he's he's not technically on the level of other city players um so that was a long-winded city side of this um so I'll stop. I'll stop there for now. How how are you looking at at City coming into this game? And, and then we can touch on I love I love the analysis, by the way, and and that was a a monologue in response, which you know I will always respect and, and appreciate. Um, I, I think I'll break it up into City and then City with Holland. The way that I look at Manchester City right now is we've seen I think a lot of conversation, a lot of discussion, especially online about how Pep has tweaked this team from game to game over the last three to four weeks, right? Playing with three in the back, playing with this sort of box midfield, how they're using, you know, anyone basically that left back now, like all those sort of different things have, have come up in the conversation. But I, I think the interesting part about how I'm looking at City right now is what they're ultimately trying to do with all these tweaks and what I think Pep is trying to get at. And this is where it gets into the Holland piece. I think what they are trying to ultimately do is create all these different types of spaces for him. Spaces that may have been there at the beginning of the season when we saw him go on a tear to potentially now him having a reduction, like you mentioned, in number of shots, number of touches per 90. All of those things in the last couple of weeks especially have really shined through. Now, he might be carrying an injury right now. We're not really sure of his availability come, come Wednesday. But what I think City are trying to do, they're trying to up, open up different passing lanes and absolutely overload the left, what looks like the left-hand side of the field and allowing Kevin De Bruyne and Erling Holland to be sort of isolated on the right-hand side and just fully committing numbers to the left and allowing Erling Holland to run in behind very, very vertically, right? Which is what he's very good at. And that's what I think we're probably going to see a lot of against Arsenal. And we'll shift in the, of course, talk a little bit about Arsenal, but one of the things that I started to notice is while defensively they've been very, very strong this season, you mentioned it 
in our in our notes, and I'm, I'm not going to see those from you, but they've conceded significantly more XG in their last two games than they have compared to the rest of the season. And I feel like Gabrielle specifically and his form has taken a turn since just about the beginning of the year. And so I think there is a direct correlation between the two. So what I'm looking forward to on Wednesday is how do City exploit Arsenal spaces and how much verticality do they allow Holland to get? And how much are Arsenal willing to commit for it in response? That's what I'm looking forward to. I think it's going to be the key to this game. Quite honestly, I I, I feel like a 2-1 City win coming um, just by nature of how I think this game could get pretty stretched. Yeah, I, uh, I look, I'll, I'll kind of piggybacking on the, on the Arsenal point there. Like, yeah, they've, they've averaged the season just under one X, XG um, allowed per game. The last two games, you know, including the loss to Everton, uh, they conceded like 1.7 and, and, and against Brentford, it was two expected goals um, allowed. The, the interesting thing there is that I, I looked at like some of their, or their Premier League games, um, and expected goals allowed in, in other games. A lot of the games where they've allowed over one expected goal were against teams that were like transition, direct, attacking, focused teams. <laughs> That's not going to be City. <laughs> like, I know you said, like, like in an ideal world, yes, they would be creating those spaces for Holland, but that's just that's not what's happening. I I, <laughs> I agree with you. No, no, no. I let me let me clarify and say, like, that isn't City's whole identity, right? Like, it it isn't at all. But I feel like we've seen more of those passages of play in the last three to four weeks than we had prior in the entirety of the season. So while I don't I don't think that's their mo by any means, I do think that that's what they have been trying to slightly shift towards to accommodate Holland. Yeah. Yeah. And, and they, and they have to, right? Like, like it, it would be ridiculous to have a guy who scored 25 goals, uh, in what, 21 games, 22 games, four hat tricks already, like to not try to play to his strengths. Right. Um, and, so th- that'll be interesting to see how do they do that against Arsenal. Um, the, the the thing that I just like more about Arsenal, like in general for the rest, like as we go on through the rest of this season, in terms of like how they play, is that they can play in different gears, right? Like, and by different gears, I I don't mean like they can pass the ball quickly necessarily like like that's not that's not what i mean like they can score from settled possession where teams kind of like play very defensively against them we saw it this weekend against brentford they had trouble against everton of course um but they can play a slower possession game but they can also play a transition game because they have saka and Martinelli on the wings. It's a bit different when Trossard is is playing on that left wing because he's not as a, he doesn't dribble as much, uh, or at least doesn't dribble directly as much as those two guys. But um, they can just play at different speeds. And City could try to, if like, like of course, like Holland can, uh, but they haven't shown for me enough willingness to do it. And so until that. Slip, that switch is fully flipped for me. I, I'm, I'm still 
feeling that Arsenal have a should, Arsenal should still be the favorites at least for right now. Uh, now who knows what happens on Wednesday? Of course, like like I don't know. Like, Congrats, like, you just you just wrote the opposite. Yeah. The city, the city, the city. We know the city's good enough to win it, but it, but I still would feel um, cautiously optimistic if I was an Arsenal fan. I'll put it that way. That's fair. That's fair. I'll give you that. I'm very curious, just what you make of, I guess, how Arsenal might fully defend um, yeah. against City. Like that's the that's the last piece just on this matchup. Yeah, I mean, slash... the, the biggest. Difficulties they had this past weekend against Brentford was with Ivan Tony, who won 12 of his 14 aerial duels in that game on top of the one goal um, that he had as well. Uh, I mean, he's had, he's had a great season. He's seventh in the league in non-penalty expected goals per 90. Uh, he's, he's obviously great. But Arsenal had a lot of difficulties dealing with those balls. Again, a thing that City will not do. So I don't think it's going to be that much of an issue. Um, like Tony was really posting up on Saliba like the entire game. I think I saw Saliba won one of 10 duels, 10 aerial duels in that game. So he was just posting up on him and, and winning everything. He was, he was really, really great. But um, I don't think that'll be an issue for Arsenal. Like, I don't think that will be, that will be City's game plan. Um, I, I hope I hope I'm wrong. I hope the city start trying to actually play in some trend in more transitional moments because that would make this game better at one, and um, it would just kind of be a fresh way of like, option for them um, at least, and, and and it would get Holland involved in the games more. But but either way, um, I think that defensively, I've think that Arsenal will have a much easier time defending against City than... It sounds crazy to say, but an easier time defending against City than they did against Brentford and and Everton. Just I, kind of, I kind of agree with you. Yeah, I actually... I fully agree with you. Um, it's nice to find common ground with you every once in a while. But um, in the interest of time, Rian, moving away from Arsenal City, unless there's anything else you want to touch on with both of those teams because this is going to be very interesting come Wednesday. We didn't we didn't drill too much into um, the loss against Spurs for, for City or Brentford quite honestly having their way in the second half with Arsenal outside of Trossard's goal. Um, but I, I think we've uh, we've touched on probably everything that we could have <laughs> in terms of the information that we know outside of the game being played. <laughs> so with that, Let's move on to at least the flowers that you want to give in the Premier League. We saw Marcus Rashford continue his his goal scoring form, uh, conveniently enough, right before this team plays Barcelona in the Europa League. So great. Um, we saw, oh gosh, what else? We saw Leicester beat Spurs for one, um, an incredible goal, by the way, by Mendy um, for for Leicester. That was, and I believe it was his first goal. Uh, in the Premier League as well. Yeah, um, second second goal of his career. <laughs> yeah, yeah, unreal. Um, felt like it was shot in slow motion. I don't know why, but it was wonderful to watch. Um, and we saw a couple other things, but where do you want to start? Let's start with a guy who seemingly like thought he was dead two years ago when he played when he had this his one season at Arsenal. 
he went back to Brazil and then came back to to Europe. Um, William at at Fulham, he scored with his weak foot and, a, and just a great curling goal this past weekend for uh, Fulham in their two no win against Forest. And kind of what is so impressive, not from I mean, the goal was amazingly impressive, obviously, but his season in general and his um, importance in this team, he leads Fulham in progressive passes and passes into the penalty area and shot creating actions per 90. Like it's really like him and Andreas Pereira. Who's all, Andreas Pereira has also had a really good season for, for Fulham. Uh, but William at 34 is like the most important attacker on a a team that's in sixth place right now. Let me just double check that. Yes, sixth place. Nice. Uh, a team that has a chance to finish in a European competition for uh, qualifying for a European qual- competition. That's amazing. Like, like, I, so, so flowers to him. And, and on top of all of this, he, he doesn't attempt as many dribbles as, as obviously a, a younger William did, but he's still in the 97th percentile, uh, of wingers in the Premier League when it comes to successful take on percentage. Like, the guy still is really hard to tackle basically when, when he dribbles. Um, and, it's it's just it's really as a Chelsea fan, obviously, like I'm biased, uh, but I'm ha- really happy to see that uh, that season at Arsenal, I guess, was just some whatever it was situation. Who you never know what's going on in, in these players' personal lives, of course, too, right? So, um, great, great to see that he's come back uh, and and kind of firing like on on all cylinders that I that I didn't expect. Um, and then I, I guess when kind of bringing up that who knows what players are going through at any point, probably a good segue for Marcus Rashford as well, right? Um, who admitted that he was going through mental health issues like for a good ba- good bit of a year. Uh, and I'm really happy to see that he's come back from the World Cup and just been back to more of the Marcus Rashford that we – that we all really enjoy watching uh, 15 games in all competitions since coming back from the world cup for Manchester United in those games is 13 goals and four assists. And he's been, he's been their best player and just always root for the guy. Yeah. Um, quality individual, by the way, uh, just through all of his charity work, et cetera. But I should also mention he is one goal short of his best season goal scoring record uh, in his career. And we are how much? We're like 60% of the way through the season, like something like that. Like we're not, not even close even. to being done. Yeah. yeah, barely 60%. So he he is certainly going to break that record, bar, of course, a freak injury or something like that. Um, and I just hope he doesn't do it in the Europa League. That's, that's all I hope for. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'll just like quickly mention that. that his goal over the weekend was in a, a 2 0 win against Leeds, um, where they doubled down on the chaos, the, the <laughs> Eddie Adams chaos. 
Tyler oh, Adams man. and Weston wow. McKenney had themselves a tackling frenzy. Oh if my that, god! If you can call it that, um, oh, I will say god. it was it was nice to see Fred <laughs> in all of that chaos. I believe Fred had the highest number of um, takeaways and interceptions throughout that, with like eighteen or something. So. Uh, that was just a chaotic game. And honestly, I don't think United played very well outside of like the 80th minute onwards. No. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, they didn't. It was, it was another, it was just another one of those leads games where they had a few chances in the first half. Right. Yeah. And then not a lot. I mean, the second half was completely like a dead rubber up until Rashford's goal. And, and Garnacho had a nice goal too, as well. I give him credit. Um, But yeah, leads. I don't think it's gonna. I don't know. I, I I still think they'll just about end up like staying up because I still think they have enough talent to stay up. But the tough thing is that I would say that about probably like six of the seven teams that are <laughs> that are in relegation fights. So it's just uh, yeah, difficult. Um, but moving moving on from there. Uh, to a team that defends like a relegation <laughs> level team right now. Are you specifically uh, calling out Eric Dyer? Is that is that a jab? It's not just him. No, I'm not. Valid. If it was just him, it would be very easy for them to fix this. <laughs> but <laughs> it's not. <laughs> That's true. That's true. Um, I'm obviously talking about Leicester. As Eli- as Elias uh, mentioned earlier, their four one win against Spurs and. You know, it's just kind of at the point now where the whole thing of having Conte is that we're going to be very good defensively. We're going to do a great job at breaking into space on transitions, and we'll have these, uh, like, almost automated attacking patterns where everyone just kind of learns those three or four patterns and does it every time we we win the ball back. And, uh, and... It, it just works if your players are good enough to actually execute it perfectly almost every time. But the part that's kind of unforgivable where you're like, okay, well, what's the actual point of having you around here? Uh, especially when you throw in the fact that every time the man gets somewhat sad, he starts talking about going back to Italy, which I saw another quote today where he said Italy is like in his heart or whatever. Um you start thinking, like, what is the point of having this guy around if we are 15th in goals allowed in the league, if we are conceding the ninth most expected goals um, this season? It was tolerable last season when 28, in 28 Premier League games under Conte, they were third in goals, third least goals allowed, fourth fewest expected goals allowed. So it's... Once it flips, you, you you start asking the question, what's the point? So, Elise, what's the point? I, I mean, <laughs> do you, do you I, have any? Because I don't. I don't. No, 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 no. It's, it's not even just that because I, I have the same question as you. It's more like, how do you even answer that? And how are Spurs consistently in this position season over season? Like, this has been their kryptonite for since Pochettino. It's not, this isn't a new revelation. We're not coming on and saying Spurs have had defensive issues for the last three weeks because so-and-so is injured, right? Maybe Hugo Lloris going out made them even worse. I, I don't, I don't know, but 
Quite Romero, Romero having those voices in his head every game <laughs> is not helpful either. <laughs> and he's just getting it's, himself set off for stupid <laughs> athletes. That's what happens when you win the World Cup. You can kind of do whatever you want. And uh, I believe those voices are specifically Argentinian voices in his head. <laughs> but beyond that, I, I truly don't have an answer. And I, this is actually something like I thought about over the weekend when going through this game. What, what could Spurs do differently? I think I think about the first thing being like personnel changes and they brought in Romero. They brought in a variety of different fullbacks over the, the last several years. I don't, I don't know what else it could come down to other than the manager, I guess, and how this team is structured defensively. I, the, I, I would like genuinely, I want to ask like, a f- like a coaching expert that isn't a coach. Cause I don't have, I don't have an answer. Do you, do you have an answer? Because it, it doesn't actually make sense to me. No, I, I yeah. I, I oh, don't you know what? It. No, I have an answer. I have a potential answer. I just thought of it. Spurs doesn't have any strong progressive ball carriers in midfield, right? To keep the way the ball away from the opposing midfield. And that maybe keeps the ball away from very, very, bad giveaways in very, very bad areas. That's the only thing that I could potentially think of that just came into my head. Yeah. No, I, and I and I would agree 100%. Like, like In terms of what having a progressive ball carrier or passer, either one, or, mm, would like win. Literally, they would benefit so heavily from having like a Thomas Partey. Yeah, 100%. 100%. Like, you you hit it like someone who can move the ball away from their <laughs> own penalty area. Like that's kind of the whole point. It's tough when um, like Hoiberg from time to time, obviously, is I think he's a a better passer than probably the the consensus is, but still not that type of player. Um, yeah. Obviously, Betancourt, good player as well, but doesn't do that. Like he he will go on a dribble from time to time, but that's not his consistent game. And then also, wait, I'm sorry, didn't Betancourt also tear his and, ACL? Yes, and okay. and on top of that, like one of their two at least at least above average midfielders out. Um, right, and yeah, and, and and so look, again, I can go. I could literally lose my breath. Lose like. <laughs> So much uh, energy talking about this because I say it over and over again. But Antonio Conte <laughs> doesn't care about having midfielders that do that. That's as he just doesn't prioritize it, and so it's it's. I mean, yeah, like I, the, the guy. It tells it should tell you enough that the guy took so long to even get put Erickson into that inter team that ended up winning the title because they had Erickson when he was with Chelsea. He. Tried to freeze out Cesc Fabregas, who's like <laughs> once in a generation passer. <laughs> he tried to freeze him out, and, and like finally, at like played him, and a big reason why they were why Chelsea was able to win the title that season too. There is unfortunately no midfielder on Spurs right now that is that good at passing that <laughs> they would like basically force him to play them. Sure. Um, and so I I agree with you. I think that's the biggest reason um it's definitely gonna help let's see what happens with pedro poro he's he should be a big upgrade on emerson and that that'll help a bit that'll help definitely with the progressive um moving the ball forward 
but uh, I don't know. But it's I I think they're just gonna kind of sludge their way through the rest of the season anyway. And depending on how Newcastle lasts through this season, depending on um, same thing for Brighton. Like I, I still think that Spurs will probably be close and in around that top four for the rest of the season, and never look like they will can are uh, one of the be- four best teams in the league, but they'll still be close, I think, for most of the season. So, and this sport is stupid sometimes. So they, they could, they <laughs> sometimes. could literally, yeah, 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 yeah. So you know, they could obviously <laughs> fail upwards somehow into <laughs> into fourth if if ever if uh, those other two teams completely fall off. But <sighs> it's hard to find a lot of joy in watching that team play. Um, you're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, so the, the last <laughs> thing here before we up to a break and then and then we talk about uh, getting to Spain. Southampton firing Nathan Jones after 14 games. Uh, yeah, that wasn't very long. It wasn't very long, and he was not a, not great for the vibes. So, like that um, had a, a couple of press conferences where he was really defensive um, about how poor they were doing and. And it seemed like a toxic atmosphere. And now apparently they are speaking with Jesse Marsh about becoming the, the coach there. Um, I guess they're trying to run it back like like Hasenhodl, <laughs> like the two the Red Bull guys, I guess. But, you know. You I think it's I, a sponsorship I, thing. I, <laughs> yeah. Like, who knows? like, great, great, great question. Great <laughs> question. Um, look, I'll just, I'll put it this way. Personally. I hope it happens because that would mean that he could not become the coach of the, <laughs> the U.S. <laughs> Pragmatically, I hope it happens for his career. Of course, it'd be great for his career too uh, to get another Premier League job. But uh, on a more selfish <laughs> kind of thought here, I need him to not be in consideration. I have a dumb question for you. And I really should know the answer to this, but is Greg Berhalter officially still our coach? No, he is out of contract. Okay. So he's out of contract. So we have interim, I forget who our interim coach is now that I think about it. Um, yeah. One of the assistants. Yeah. Um, that's going to be fun through the summer because we apparently are playing the Copa America next year. Um, I digress. Um <laughs> I'm very, very interested to see if Jesse March does actually become the coach of Southampton because I guess my question for you, and we can move on to Spain in a second, is do you feel like Southampton and Leeds play a similar style of football? I think that Southampton used to play the more Red Bull style when they had yeah. Austin Hoddle. And granted, Austin Hoddle was literally fired this year, right? So, um, how, was, how was that this season? That feels yeah, like that was good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, you know, in theory, they might think that this is like an easier switch, but they also had a lot of turnover over the summer. So, I don't. I don't even know if the players that they got are like suited for that system. And Leeds played a a similarly suicidal kind of system under under Bielsa, where you know, with the man marking, but there was way more intricacies in their attacking play than the what I like to call just the anarchy football of of whatever the hell Jesse Walsh was coaching. <laughs> 
there. Like, I'm being harsh, but like it is it, no, it's for just sure. pure anarchy. It's just an anarch. It's I like control, so a team that just doesn't care about control, I don't enjoy <laughs> watching that. That's that is not um not good for the heart, and it's not really conducive for winning over a longer period of time. Yeah. I said both things can be true, but I was on mute. Anyway, uh, <laughs> I will, I will, I digress. Um, we'll take a quick break. Rian, I think we've covered everything in the Prem. We'll move on to talk about La Liga, talk about a very interesting game of the weekend. And then we've got, we got some interesting stuff coming around Europe, like very quickly. So stay tuned. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the overlap. Welcome back to the Spain and La Liga portion of the podcast. We're going to be talking a little bit, a little bit about the game of the weekend. Um, that's spoiler alert. Going to be Celta Vigo against Atletico, which was one of my favorite games of the season, actually. Um, not my favorite, but one of. And we'll talk about some of the surprises and what else went on in uh, in La Liga. So, Rian, starting with Atletico and Celta, a couple of narratives coming out of this game. One of which I know you'll touch on in a second, but. Two two big ones for me on the Atletico side. Uh, Memphis Depay getting his first Atletico goal. Uh, of course, no longer a Barcelona player. Um, of course, we are just in the habit as a team of selling players to rival teams that will keep those teams in the title race because that's our MO now. Um, so that happened. And Stefan Savage getting his third red card in this calendar year, in, in the year 2023. So in the last five games, he's picked up three red cards, which is just genuinely astounding. Um, but you you had a chance to watch part of this game. I flipped over to it, I think, after the, the Leeds and United game wrapped up. And thankfully, I missed the majority of that first half because it was dead after going back and looking at it. The second half was incredible. Um, Celta Vigo hit the post, I believe, twice. Carlos Perez... Uh, had wonderful chance um, I, literally to a point where I think Oblak was partially injured in the last like 10 minutes of this game. And uh, Iago Aspas had at least two to three chances, one from a wonderful free kick. I mean, Celta had more shots. They had more shots on targets. They forced Atletico into more saves. They were a very, very dominant team. The sad part is just from next year perspective, which you'll love, um, they only bested Atletico by like 0.1 in terms of XG. It was 1.1 to, to one, <laughs> like on the dot. So um, this is just a very entertaining game that Celta probably should have won. They had multiple chances to put this game away, but I wanted to get your thoughts on the game and I'll jump into a couple things after that as well. Yeah. Well, I mean, it looks Celta has been very good the last few weeks, like bringing themselves out of that relegation fight they winning finally winning a couple games in a row it's obviously heartbreaking for them that that goal especially it was such a scruffy a bit of a scruffy uh the pie goal as well like last minute and they and uh Atleti were down to 10 men but i think that that overall they have to feel good about the performance right and especially the performance in these last three games that if they continue creating the chances as they've been able to create on, on the kind of this consistent basis the last few games, that 
they're going to be safe, right? And then they'll, who knows where they'll finish in the, in the table, but they'll at least be safe. So I think they have to take some positives from, from that sense. Um, just, just very disappointing that, that they end up not winning the game because also like that, the pie chance, like that, the pie's goal was literally the best chance that Eleni had the entire game. Mm-hmm. So, it, so like that's what's really carrying their, their XG total from that is the fact that he came on and scored from like what four yards out. Yeah. Um, so, so outside of that, they didn't, they weren't really able to create much. So I think that, um, I think that Celta Vigo has to take that with a lot of, a lot of, uh, a lot of positives like that game in general. 100%. I, they have, I mean, it's just shitty at the end of the day that they weren't able to get three points or at least a point. Um, and I think one of the most interesting things about Celta Vigo is we talked a lot about Iago Aspas. Like, right. You and I have talked about him like offline. We've talked about him here. He's now, I believe, 35. Um, and still one of La Liga's best players. I found out over the weekend after this game that he is number two. I forget who he's behind now. Um, number two in chances, all chances created this season with 54 chances created in all, like that is across all of La Liga, which is astounding for a player who had a small bout with an injury uh, a couple weeks ago and is truly, I think he created on his own, I believe four. Um, like shot creating actions uh this this game of course another player for celta who we should probably talk about from a u.s perspective who created more i believe he created either five or six shot creating actions this game was della torre um our can we call him a young midfielder anymore? Like, is that still technically correct? Well, he's still, still younger than us. <laughs> <laughs> at, so, at some point, that's just not going to be a metric we could use. But for now, I'll allow it. Uh, 24, so I'll, I'll still say young, but pretty much entering his prime. Um, yeah. No, yeah, look, look uh, for Della Torre, it's been a bit of a weird season up until this point, right? Like, he... Came to Celta Vigo for about two million was the transfer fee. Funny enough, it was a a recommendation from Luis Campos. He's he was a consultant, I believe, for uh, for Celta Vigo. He was recommended by Luis Campos, which is pretty high praise. That's from, pretty good. From, yeah, that's one of the best sporting directors in the world. Um, but anyway, it was recommended to Celta Vigo by him, and started off this season not. But he had a couple injuries, was generally just kind of out of favor with the previous manager whose name is escaping me right now. But um, once Celta Vigo switched managers, he started getting his chances and he got his first start for the club on January 3rd. And since then, he started in almost every game. And like you said, like in this game, I think he was either tied or, or had or had like one one more shot creating action than, uh, than Iago Aspas. And he's had a couple, two assists in his last three games. And just like generally, really looks like a player that's finding a role who's definitely grown confidence. Um, and I love to see like some of the chances that he's, the, the, the chances that he's been creating in the last few games, because I know that that's something that we've talked about from the U.S. perspective is we need more guys who can just, who can create chances, um, for the forwards. So. It's really, I think, a great development for him. And then 
just uh just uh actually like over the weekend i don't know if it was i don't know if this interview was over the weekend or not actually but um he, recently he was asked about like some of the best players he's ever played with he he said that iago aspas is the best players he's ever played <laughs> he's ever played with so wait so, actually like, that's wild yeah yeah he said that i i think that i think that was from this weekend but he said he that aspas is the best player he's ever played with so all very encouraging things i think from a us perspective and especially when you think about like the depth around midfield this is something that we um discussed as the world cup ended for the u.s is that the next three years which is crazy it's only three years now um is about like building depth in the team and delatory was on the team at the world cup obviously but didn't end up playing um i think injuries i i just don't think he was fit um but if if he can have a a fourth midfielder that we can trust, like ideally you'd like to have probably like two, three more midfielders you could trust. But if if he can kind of keep growing into this role and, and establish himself in this team, and and I think that the league that La Liga actually fits his playing style a lot too, as a guy who's very, uh, very possession based, and 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 uh, I think to like the way that he plays, is, it fits the sp- the style in Spain. Uh, I think it projects really well for like a depth point of view for the for the U.S. at, at midfield, and uh, just fingers crossed that he that he you know stays relatively healthy and and keeps getting the chances that he's gotten because obviously like he's in that position now where he's trusted by the by the the manager. One hundred percent. Yeah, I'm very excited to see him continue playing for Celta, and he's up to two assists now on the year, um, both of which have come in the last couple of weeks, and he's starting to find his footing a little bit more. And so I think that's probably the thing that we'll look out for between now and the end of the season. Not that Celta are looking, you know, for European football or anything, but what role does he have between now and the end of the season, keeping them firmly out of relegation um, and probably just as a strong mid-table team? Um, that's that's probably their their goal for right now. Um, but moving away from the game of the weekend, Atletico and Celta Vigo. I want to talk about my my flowers for for La Liga, and I try not to be Barcelona centric when we talk about La Liga. I really try not to. Like you didn't talk about Chelsea. Oh really? Uh, wow, <laughs> wow, <laughs> sick, dude. Um, no, I really try not to. You didn't talk about Chelsea against West Ham and any of the controversy there. I didn't talk about. Barcelona playing Villarreal. All I want to mention, at least for this portion of the podcast, is Pedri's goal scoring record in La Liga and honestly in Europe or, or all competitions, I should say, um, this season. And that great goal. And a that wonderful goal. goal was unbelievable. <laughs> yes. Sorry. It, it, it was so well worked. Like, all, Barcelona have now had, I believe, seven 1 0, or no, let me rephrase that. They have had. I believe seven different results where the game was decided by a goal and just a single goal. And they've tied their record for the highest number of one nil wins in the entire La Liga season already. And we're what 60% of the way through the season, barely something like that. So one of the things that's most interesting in kind of thinking about where Petri stands and how significant this has been is the number of points that he has won for, for this team. And there's been no player that's won more points for their team with their goals than Pedri in La Liga this season. He's won 10 points single-handedly with six goals, only level with Borja Iglesias, who's also 
uh, gained Real uh, Betis 10 points with nine goals. Um, and only Jude Bellingham has scored more goals than Pedri in all competitions across all midfielders from the top five leagues uh, under 21. So Bellingham has scored, I believe, 10, and Pedri has scored seven. And so one of Xavi's goals for Pedri, I think, at the beginning of the season was, I want you to basically carry the ball more, Iniesta-esque, right? I want you to get closer to the box, and I want you to shoot more. And he's quite literally done exactly that. He scored significant, <laughs> like very significant goals, um, and quite literally won us points that didn't exist before. So that in and of itself is probably a big reason why Barcelona are, drumroll please, 11 points clear of Real Madrid in first. Of course, Real Madrid have a game in hand. Congrats, you won the Club World Cup. Woohoo. <laughs> and they you know, probably will make it an eight-point gap, but still. Just something that I wanted to give Pedri a shout-out for. Fair enough? Oh, cool, yeah, thanks. absolutely. I mean, you're, you're talking about, like, a guy who's... Man, I, I, love, I, like, I like Jude Bellingham a lot, too. I, I think they're two different styles of players. For sure. Um, but I, if I had to pick one, and and this is not a slight on Jude Bellingham at all, because I hate that sometimes this stuff you you're almost like dissing the one one player. But no, I, I think that Pedri has just a higher ceiling. Um, when you just think about the way that he can influence a game, uh, he, this season he's shown he can influence it from a goal scoring point of view. I. I I already was very high on what he could do from the build-up and creating chances and whatnot, but from the goal scoring, the timing, really, again, another another goal where this time the timing, what, what I really loved about that goal was, from a team point of view, I should start from, was the high press from Barcelona, who, how they kind of trapped Villarreal and I think it might have been Frankie de Jong who won the first tackle. And, he and did. Then, and and that's actually yeah. something that Setien in his post-game press conference basically mentioned. Like, the biggest difference from when I was at Barcelona to now is, like, their press and their off-the-ball movement is 10 times better. Yeah, and the numbers show it, right? So they're first in terms of um, passes passes per defensive action. Like, they're just just a shade better than Real Sociedad, who... Who are who we've talked about this season already? Who are great at it? Um, from like that goal and Pedri one being up there to also to help with the press as well, but also like he's very close to Lewandowski there, and just that kind of two man game that they play there. Obviously, Rafinha's first goal, first pass into it was also great. Like all of that, the last three touches of that goal were fucking amazing. Um, but I, I really love that from a team point of view too, because I feel like what's been unlocked from if I'm thinking about like from Frankie De Jong specifically in that situation, and something that I noticed from the game is that in those situations, as the teams like kind of building up, whether it's Kessier or whether it's Busquets, that player sits deeper, and then Frankie De Jong is almost allowed to be like this sweeper in midfield, like. It, it, it he's just kind of like a free for for American football like a free safety like literally like a free safety he's just reading the play and then he's and he's like the one guy who doesn't have to like man mark someone and he's just looking for where the ball where the out ball is going to be and we know that this is La Liga this is Spain the teams 
would rather not try to play over the press. It's just, it's culturally, that's how the teams play and they're going to try to play through. And so, um, you can be more aggressive. Like it's, it's a really nice tweak where you have a, I mean, obviously the players to be very intelligent to, to find, to, uh, get in those positions to, to win the ball, but, but you can really win a lot of like high turnovers. Uh, because you know that the opposition is going to try to play through you. Almost every team in, in La Liga is going to try to actually play out from the back, and uh, and, and you can really trap teams. So it it, it kind of makes sense why like Barcelona and, and Sociedad have had such great seasons when you consider like how well they've done at um at their high pressing. Expert analysis, ladies and gentlemen, love that. And and I will say uh, the last thing on that point. I believe Frankie de Jong had the highest number of interceptions this game. That was well into the double digits. So uh, I don't think that's a coincidence either. He's really finding his form. Well, Rian, with a couple minutes left, I just want to hit on uh, a disappointing piece uh, just around La Liga. Well, one is Savage's red card that I mentioned earlier. Like that's a stupid number of red cards in three and five games. Is like that's a goal scoring record. That's not a red card record usually, but I digress. Um, the second piece was we didn't get a chance to touch on Real Madrid and their loss to Mallorca, which gave Barcelona the opportunity to extend their lead, um, to eight points against Sevilla last weekend with a three, no win at home. But in that game, we did see just more incidents of racist abuse aimed at Vinicius jr. And I want to separate out two things just on this, on this point. One is, I think, we saw sort of on the field with the Mallorca players, a lot of kind of, I don't know how else to phrase this, just like shithousery, like just normal stuff that you see in like every, any football game aimed at anyone, just like getting in people's faces, like just exchanging words, if you will, like that sort of thing. Like that sort of stuff happens all the time, like from minute zero, probably before the game even starts, like until after the game, like that's just very common. I think what, was just even more disappointing to see again is racist abuse coming from fans and people around the stadium aimed at one specific player. And this is just very common in Spain. Like clearly La Liga has not gotten a hold of this or has not put in guardrails to prevent this from happening again. Like we've seen this happen in the Premier League, but we've seen some pretty harsh actions taken, which is great, right? This sort of stuff should not be happening, but I think it's a little bit harder in Spain because there is this level of, I don't want to almost call it ignorance, but like just a lack of awareness or knowledge as to why some of the things that are said are actually racist. Um, and racism isn't just like saying the N word, like <laughs> it's not, it's not super black and white. Um, but it's just a shame to see that continue in the Liga. Um, I, at some point think there needs to be legal intervention but I don't know when that will come, but just something that I think needs to continue to be talked about. Otherwise nothing will happen as we've seen time and time again with a variety of different things in the U S. So that's yeah. all. Yeah. No, no, look, you, you hit on it pretty well there. Like the thing that disappoints me the most about this entire situation is that pretty much like Carlo Ancelotti is like the only person who's come out on Vinicius' side, like like Real Madrid, I haven't I haven't personally seen any other quotes from any other players, so so I I, I could have just missed them, of course. But um, 
Carl Ancelotti is like one of the few people who've actually in, in Spanish, whether it's media or literally any other player, coach, whatever in the, in La Liga, only guy who's come out and, and defended Vinicius in the sense of like, like this, this, this shouldn't be happening basically, uh, at least as consistent, like as consistently as it's, as it is. And, and as you said, it's, the racism isn't just like saying specific words or, or whatever, right? But like this kind of inaction from the league, right, is um, is concerning. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Well, without laboring on, because we probably could talk about this in a whole episode itself. Um, the last point that I'll make, Rian, not on this, just on the, in the podcast in general. Champions League and Europa League are back starting this week. Um, that kind of crept up on us. I know I've been talking about and making comments about United playing Barcelona. We have PSG playing Bayern in the Champions League. Uh, I believe that's Tuesday. Probably so by the time you're listening to this, uh, the game is probably just passed or will be passing very soon. Um, but outside of those games, you have Milan playing Spurs. You have Chelsea Dortmund. Um, just like European football is back and it's that time of the year where you're like, Oh, nice. We get to see some pretty sick like matchups um, of which PSG Bayern, of course, is the headline for tomorrow without a doubt. So Rian, uh, I'm not sure what you make of the champions league for, for Chelsea. I'll, I'll let you end on that thought of how you feel about your team right now. Oh man. Um, a lot of hope. A lot of hope. Uh, not, not necessarily for this Champions League game. Sorry, let me preface that. <laughs> <laughs> That's, I was surprised. My bad. I was like, My bad. Okay. Uh, no, no. A lot of hope in general. Look, I'm enjoying watching this team. Or some players, most, well, not most, but some players on this team play right now. Um, look, Enzo Fernandez, I've, I'm just saying it now, man. Six months, six, 18 months from now. Yes, the like a hundred whatever right at at the time that it was paid is is an overpay. I genuinely think he'll be one of like the the three or four best midfielders in the world in in about eighteen months, uh, and and whether he stays after this loan or not, I get to watch Al Felix play for <laughs> for not Diego Simeone for like four months, and I'm just enjoying the ride, man. I'm just enjoying it. Um, <laughs> I can't. That's, that's really. I, I'm really liking watching like some of the individual performances here. I I uh, not quite loving that Kukure. I, I did. I guess Mudrik might have slept with Kukure's wife or something, and Kukure is just not <laughs> passing to him. It's really weird. But uh, outside of that, I'm I'm enjoying watching some individuals on this team. Uh, and look, these are about to be two very unserious teams play against each other anyway. <laughs> so uh, there's no, the only score line that would surprise me would be one in which less than three goals are scored in total. <laughs> so. <laughs> and you're talking about in the game specifically, right? Not across, on yes. aggregate. Yeah. Oh my yeah. God. On aggregate. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this will tell you enough. Our, our best, our best defender. Well, I say two of best defenders. Batty Shield and Thiago Silva have been actually very good playing together. Batty Shield's not registered for the for the Champions League. He's could only Chelsea could only pick three players to register from that uh, deck of cards that that they picked up in the summer in the January. 
Kulabal is going to be starting in that game most likely. And so, uh, yeah, three goals minimum. Three goals minimum total in the game. (laughs) Let's just be real. (laughs) I had to mute myself because I couldn't contain just – I'm laughing at all this. Um, I didn't think about it from a goal goal scoring standpoint, but, yeah, I can very well see how this – this turns into a like a three two with three goals after the seventy fifth minute kind of thing. Um, yeah, this is not. It's not going to be pretty. I, I will say, it. I'm very curious to It'll see. It'll be pretty for some people, I guess. No, I'm not, be, maybe not for me. <laughs> the goals gonna, might be pretty. The goals might be, but everything outside of that, how you get to the goals, might not be. Uh, I'm very excited to see Xiao Felix play in the Champions League for Chelsea. That's I'll say that I'm excited for that at least. So. I'll leave you with a positive yeah. thought. Um, I won. I won. Jao <laughs> Felix is out of the terrorist cell. <laughs> I won, man. That's all That's all that matters by the end of this season. I won. I get to watch Enzo Fernandez and Jao Felix play with each other for like four months minimum. <laughs> I, I, I can't lose. I can't lose. Bro. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, famous last words. <laughs> I'll just I'll I'll just say that. All right, ladies and gentlemen, thank you as always for listening. We'll be back after the Champions League and Europa League games, and over the next coming um, weekend as well. Uh, as always, stay safe, stay, he- stay healthy, and we'll talk to you guys soon. I need I need to take a break. <laughs> Thanks.